Hi, this is Jay Sunhalter, ESPN3 analyst and former Pirate football tight end. And you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Welcome in to the Sports Objective. Bubba Rosenbaum, how are you? Doing well, guys. How are y'all? Good. Very excited to, when you think about college football, Bubba, guys, you think about uh, one last name you hear a lot is uh, Joe Paterno. Uh, and right now we have a son, Jay Paterno. Jay, how are you? Doing great. How about you guys? Uh, very excited to have you on. Uh, we'll talk about your career, but very excited about your new book. I've got it right here on my Kindle, and I wanted you to give a chance to plug that book and the, your first book that you wrote a few years ago um, as well. Well, I wrote it, you know, obviously uh, there's a lot of things happening towards the end of my dad's career uh, at Penn State and things. So uh, I wrote a book about what I learned from him. Um, you know, as growing up, you know, I was one of the few people that, in fact, I was the only one that was a son, a member of his team, and then worked with him. Um, that shows you how dumb I am, <laughs> how dumb he is for keeping me around. Um, but so I wrote a book about those kind of lessons called Paternal Legacy, Enduring Lessons from the Life and Death of My Father. And now a couple of years later, I wanted to write a second book and I decided I was going to write a novel. Because after a number of years of talking about what college football is like to friends of mine who aren't involved in college football, and telling them recruiting stories and practice stories and game stories. Someone said, you ought to write a book about that. And I said, you know, that's not a bad idea. However, um, if I write it and put everybody's names next to it, there's going to be a lot of people ticked off at me. So I decided to make it a novel, incorporate a lot of those same things, and uh, change the names to protect the innocent and not. Um, so the book is called Hot Seat. Uh, a year inside college football's pressure cooker. And the, the premise of the book is that uh, the head coach at Ohio State loses a bowl game and the president of the university says, you got one year or you're done. And then it takes you through an entire year of all the things he's got to deal with. Um, that not just in a year when you're, when you're dealing with that kind of pressure, but also just what college being a head football coach in college football is like these days. That Kyle was telling Jay and Bubba was telling Jay right before we started uh, pre-show that we had a coaching change, unfortunately, on uh, November 29th of uh, 18. Uh, things didn't work out with our previous coach, Scotty Montgomery, only winning nine games, Jay, in three seasons. Um, we're in pirate football. We're used to winning seven, nine. Sometimes we have a miracle season like the Peach Bowl in 91 or 2013. We had 10 wins, but we're used to that kind of uh, football. And uh, when you're, when you're only having like 15, 20,000 people in the stands, we, have over 51,000. I know it's not that way in Happy Valley. You guys have a, a million people that could go to the game, but it was a lot of empty seats. So it was even a high school playoff game, um, one particular game, November 17, where there was more people at the high school football game locally than the next night at the ECU game. So you knew that, that probably a change was going to come. I was really happy with, uh, so far I've been reading the book about just thinking about um, Ohio State and Penn State, just the big name programs. And you, I know you were talking about to protect the maybe innocent and not so innocent, but, um, I got to imagine that you've got a Rolodex of not only coaches, you know, but obviously stories that are in your mind, right? Yeah. You know, it was when I sat down to start fleshing this out a little bit, you know, there was, you know, there were, you know, things would come to you or I'd go, you know, I walked my dogs in the morning 
And um, while I'm walking, I'd be thinking about the book and I go, oh, yeah, don't forget this story. Don't forget this one. Don't forget that one. So I would be making notes on my phone uh, and I'd come back in, into my office and sit down and say, OK, I got to does this fit? Does that fit? And there's still more that I couldn't even fit in the book. But uh, but a lot the, the thing I think that, that I hope people understand is, is the, even though the book is fiction, it's a novel. Um, it's real. It's very, very real. I mean, the stories that are in that are all based in things that I saw or guys I know coach at other schools saw and because you know coaches all talk so you collect these stories and things over over the years um but but uh, I want to make sure people understand that the stories I attached to certain schools did not necessarily in fact they did not happen at those schools I picked them at random because um so there may be I, I know there's a couple references to UNC in there and there's some references to you know Texas and all you know all these other schools and LSU and um, those are just random. You know, I just took out a list of schools and says, okay, said, okay, this story is going to happen at UNC, for example. Um, uh, so, you know, not that ECU fans would, would feel bad about UNC being smudged a little bit here or there um, in the story, but, you know, it, they're, they're in there as well. So, you're protecting the guilty, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, about um, the, the book, I guess, being centered around or an example you gave. A coach at Ohio State losing a bowl game, and uh, the the president of the school telling them you got one year. Um, the, how often do things like that happen? So literal, where where a coach is told by a president or a chancellor or an athletic director, you know, look, you got one more year to turn it around, and and you know, what, what's turning it around? Is turning it around mean you win the Big Ten next year? Does it mean you win your bowl games? Does it mean you win ten games? I mean, that's a very you know literal statement. You got one year. Well, in, in this particular book, the Big Ten Championship was kind of the marker. That was the low bar that the president was going to accept. Because um, this this uh, this coach at Michigan, or Ohio State, uh, made the mistake of losing to Michigan and the bowl game. So he was lucky he even got to the bowl game. Um, but, you know, it's uh, in 2004, we, we had a we had a unchar- uncharacteristically bad season at Penn State. And my dad at that point was, you know, 78 years old and basically met with the president, and a couple of trustees. And he said, look, if we don't win next year, you know, I'll, I'll step away. But we're really, really close. And in my dad's own notes, he defined that as nine wins was not good enough. He wanted to win the Big Ten. And we ended up going out 11 and one. We were one second away from being 12 and 0. Um, and then, you know, the next those next seven years, we if you look at the record across those seven years, we had the sixth best, sixth best record in the country across those seven years. So, I mean, it really kind of, you know, it, it kind of jolted everybody back into into where we need to be. But, you know, so we I've kind of lived through one of those years. Jay, uh, that's obviously pre social media. I can't imagine uh, we, uh, you could ask this guy right here in the back, in the lower corner, uh, bubble too, but the social media has really changed things in many ways. But in this particular case with college football, college coaches, it made the hot seat even hotter, right? Yeah. Cause everybody can hashtag fire, you know, whatever the coach may be, you know, and, um, you know, uh, there was kind of a movement to get rid of Mac Brown at Texas and, you know, he's gone and Texas is kind of, been clawing to kind of find their way and now he's back at unc and suddenly you know it's like wow you know the guy can't coach it's like when the only reason you didn't think he could coach is because you had people on social media telling you he couldn't and we all know he can coach and we know he can recruit and he's you know he's, he's been that he's obviously been a great asset to unc 
So, yeah. And on top of that, with the social media part of it is you can get blindsided by things your players tweet. Um, you know, I mean, you see that all the time where players are tweeting things and suddenly the coach has got to react to something a player tweeted. Um, and sometimes you're tweeting them, tweeting things at off hours and you don't know what that player may have been doing on a Friday night in March uh, socially and what, you know, he may have had a few beers and he says something he shouldn't say on social media. Um, they get, you know, so the, the coaches, you know, when you're a college football coach and the phone rings at 2.30 in the morning, it's never good. And that's a reality and it can happen any day, any time. Jay, talk about um... – to me, just evaluating things, you know, particularly at East Carolina over the years, and I guess it's like this everywhere, but it seems like it's more magnified at a group of five level um, athletic directors and a head coach and an athletic director having a good relationship. How important that is? Oh, I think it's vital um, because, again, it's one of those things that that relationship, that coach has got to be able to confide certain things. That coach got to be able to lean on an athletic director and have the support of that athletic director. Uh, to get some things done. Um, and that kind of comes through in this book in that the, the athletic director in this book at Ohio State it came in after the head coach. So it wasn't, the head coach wasn't his guy. And he wanted to go get an NFL guy and was kind of not necessarily rooting for him to fail, but he wouldn't have been heartbroken over it. So I think it's really vital. On the flip side, I think the athletic director has to kind of walk a fine line in terms of not necessarily one to give the, they can't give the coach everything a coach wants all the time anymore because uh, the money is just getting so it's getting out of control in terms of, in terms of the, the power five guys group. I mean, we've gone from uh, our budget for salaries in Penn state went from about 9 million for the entire coaching staff to 22 million in about four years. So, I mean, it's, you know, and that money's got to come from somewhere and, so many presidents and so many athletic directors now are afraid to tell a coach, hey, this is what I can pay you. You leave, you leave. Um, you know, they're not setting budgets. They're just saying, oh, well, we're going to have to give this coach $7 million to stay per year, as opposed to saying, look, I can afford four and a half. And when you look at the salaries with the coordinators, those are all going through the roof, too. You think that's going about the, to, to pop, if you will, with COVID? Pardon? Do you think the uh... – the financial boom and the salaries going up, do you think that bubble is about to pop with COVID, with the impact from COVID? I, I, I think we're going to have to see a real market correction realistically, even in places like Penn State and Ohio State and things like that. I mean, we're looking at, even if we had played this year in the Big Ten, we were going to lose ticket money to the tune. You know, we do $36, $37 million in ticket money, and that, that was going to be gone. We're going to play without fans. Um, so even with that gone, you're looking at some major problems. Plus, if you look at what's going to happen in college athletics coming up now, the players, because of COVID, now realize they have more leverage than maybe they ever realized as long as they stick together. And I've been saying this even when I, back when I coached years ago. I said, you know, if all the players from Penn State and Ohio State at 7.55 p.m. right before they played on ABC National in a whiteout game said, you know what, we're going to make a point today. We're both going to walk off the field and see how many people stick around to watch, you know, Jim Trestle and Joe Paterno stand across from each other for three hours. Um, everybody will know how much, how much power we really have and leverage we have. So I think there's going to be name, image, and likeness players are going to make money off of. But I think there's going to be um, some demand for revenue sharing. Um, and, you know, you know, whether that's right or wrong, 
I just think it's reality. So that money's got to come from somewhere. And cutting sports is not, there's not as much money in cutting a, a university of Cincinnati cut their soccer team. They got 800 grand. That's nothing. Um, when you look at the salaries of athletic directors and football coaches and assistant coaches and that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I'll say about the revenue sharing thing. And I, and I saw a proposal by the PAC 12 and what their players wanted. I think it's like 20% revenue, something like that. And, uh, the one thing I'll, I'll caution the players about, and you talk about the, the power that the power, the power the players could potentially have, and I do agree with that 100%, and I do think the players need to be compensated better. But you better be careful when you're being asked to be treated like an employee because you might get treated like one. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. And I think that's – the one thing I think that was interesting about the Pac-12 players, the football players came out, was they specified they didn't want sports any sports cut. Yeah. Um, but if you look at it, you know, one of the things that I've floated around, cause I'm on the, I'm on the board of trustees at Penn state. So we've had some discussions about these things. I said, look, if you did a, if you took, uh, I think the PAC 12, they were talking about 50% of revenues, which is unrealistic. You cannot make that work. It's okay. Not, I was wrong. Was 20%. It was 50. Good. Yeah, yeah. Was, I think it was 50. If I yes, remember 50 right. Was 50. But I mean, if you, and that's somebody who's saying, well, the NBA is 50%. Well, the NBA is different. Um, because they're not supporting a bunch of other sports. But, um, you know, I proposed just, just in discussing, I've kicked around, well, if you took 30% of the TV revenues, not the overall revenues, and you gave that to, and you split it evenly among all athletes at Penn State, then they, each athlete at Penn State, walk-ons or on scholarship, doesn't matter, would get about $19,000, $20,000. Now, that's a, that's a good chunk of money. It's not huge in terms of, uh, it's not three hundred grand like people think they should get, but it would give your it would give an outfielder on the baseball team who's paying his way to play baseball at Penn State twenty grand towards thirty five thousand college expenses because a lot of those kids don't get scholarships. So if you could lift all boats, then I think that would be good if you did it in a fair and equitable way like that. And not only that, most of that money for would come back to the university. Because a lot of parents would say, "Yeah, you got that check for fifteen grand, but you know what? We're gonna—that's gonna go to tuition. You're gonna help. And you know what? If you could reduce kids' student debt by sixty, eighty, eighty thousand dollars, a baseball player or a women's softball player, whatever the case may be, I, then I think that's—that's—that's—I that's, think that's a good thing." Yeah, I the there's certain things in there of for the Pac-12 with those guys. Um, that were good, but the, when the 50%, I was like, are you kidding me? We're like, the you know, place is all over the place. Like our annual budget, East Carolina thinks $43 million a year. Yeah. Um, and so when you have a situation where you go like we're in the American conference, um, I think, what is it, uh, Kyle, about 7 million is our new contract. We're gone up this year to 7 million. So we were yeah. 7 million per school, which right. is going up for the American. That's, that's right. over a double, that's over doubling what it was from last year. Right. So we have like seven million. That's pocket change, I know, for the teams in the Big Ten, but um a lot better in the group of five as far as uh, the rest of the conferences. But I mean, when if you I all I would say is like you see like all the different conferences and they're like going, All right, we want fifty percent. Well, fifty percent for us would be we probably have to shut down. Uh, there's no way we no, could do no, that. No question. And you know, I um I have I have uh two kids in, that are in college that play lacrosse at St. Bonaventure University up in New York. And they've got a really good basketball program and they're in the Atlantic 10, but you know, their AD and I were talking uh, back in the spring before even the COVID stuff hit. 
And there was a proposal back then in New York to ask for 50% of the revenue to, for, for that. And he said, you know, he said, that kills us. There's no way we can do that because we're covering all these other sports. And if we get 50% of the revenue, there's just no way. And I think that's what everybody, and, and you know, there are a lot of people saying the power five schools just split away and do their own thing. And I don't agree with that. I think that's, I think that's short-sighted. I think that's, uh, you know, college football is, you know, the overall health of the game is benefits from schools. You know, I coached at UConn. I coached at James Madison. I coached at the University of Virginia. So I've been at a bunch of a couple other places. Uh, and I think it benefits, the entire game benefits when, when there's more people playing at the highest level. Yeah, and also, you know, a lot of people don't think about this. I think they – they want to group, you know, they group the group of five together. They'll they'll look at Akron and no knock on Akron and East Carolina the same. Well, East Carolina has a legitimate rivalry with North Carolina State. That's not a one-sided rivalry. We hate each other. The stadium fell out when we play each other. It is a legit rivalry. So, you, you, you know, if the Power Five broke away, you're just going to take that rivalry away. And then you got a program like UCF that over the last five years have been better than – Fifty percent, if not more, of all of all so-called power five programs. Yeah, and I, and I think it's you know East Carolina over the years. You know, back in the eighties, Penn State played them a bunch of times home and home. In fact, in eighty-five, we ended up going eleven zero and playing for national championship. And East Carolina would beat them seventeen ten, and they were thrown in the end zone at the end of the game. Um, and there were a couple of they were Southern independent officials, and there was a couple of calls in that last drive. It kind of kept the drive alive, and it was like, oh, my God, we're going to lose this one. But, no, it's uh, – so we had some back and forth. And then when I was a kid, Penn State played NC State pretty much every year from in the mid-'70s into the-'80s, and uh, that was a good rivalry over the years. In fact, Lou Holtz was there at one time. But yeah. – um, and then being at UVA for a while, I mean, I got to play a lot of the ACC schools. You know, I was at UVA for three years, so – uh, very familiar with it and very familiar. I think at that time, NC State wouldn't play ECU. And I know that was that was an issue. There was a while uh, from 87. We didn't play in the regular season from 87 to 96. Yep. Uh, they that's, used, uh, yeah, that's when I was at UVA in the early 90s. Yeah. They used the excuse that we uh, had a riot after we beat them in Raleigh in 87. It was really because they got tired of losing to us. Uh, <laughs> the national schedule. <laughs> but uh, – I was going to ask you, Jay, the obvious question. Before you, before you ask you, let, me, let me say one thing. I coached with a guy one time, and he said, you know what? Every AD that that schedules a compass school should get fired. I go, compass school? He goes, East Carolina, Central, Central Florida. He goes, because your fans don't think they're any good. They've got really good players. And if you win, it's like, well, you should win. And if they beat you, your fans go nuts. And if you don't win by a bunch, they think something's wrong. Yeah, any, oh, yeah. Anytime, anytime I hear that directional school reference, I always say, well, what about that, that Southern Cal team? Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I, I the, the obvious question that you've been asking me in times, what was it like growing up with Joe Paterno as your dad? Well, you know, the thing about it is I really don't have anything to compare it to because it's the only kind of <laughs> growing up I had. But, you know, I, I think it's like anything else in life. There were a lot of benefits to it, but there were drawbacks to it. Um, you know, uh, friends of mine whose fathers were professors and things like that. You know, they didn't get to do some of the things I did. Bowl trips. Uh, the Goodyear blimp came for a game in the early 70s. I got to ride in the blimp and things like that. I got to do stuff, cool stuff like that. But at the same token, when I played high school football, I think one time in three years, my dad was actually in the stands. Um, and there were a lot of family vacations. We would go to Disneyland or someplace like that. And my dad would kind of leave us alone because – 
he would stay back at the hotel because we couldn't get from ride to ride without people stopping them. Yeah. And it would kind of, you know, so you lost some of those things. So again, it, it, there's good and bad, but you know, it's, um, uh, but you know, I, I wouldn't trade for anything, anything else. And it was a great experience. And I learned an awful lot of things. And I was exposed to a lot of really, really great people and really interesting people that were in the house over the years and um, learned from them. So, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. How I'm sorry, Cal. Put up a couple comments. We have uh, folks watching right now. As you know, you can anytime you want uh, to mention a question or comment for Jay, then uh, put it in uh, for YouTube or our YouTube channel or our Facebook page. And we have Tommy Nason, one of our regulars, is chiming in tonight. Jay he says he grew up a Big Ten fan, loves Joe Pot. Uh, so I wanted to put that up for like you there, that, uh, Tommy. I'll take that comment anytime you want, Tommy. By the way, I, I do want to tell you one one uh, story about my dad. One of the schools he used to say on occasion, I know it's not going to, as ECU fans, won't make it necessarily make you happy, but uh, he used to say occasionally, he said, there's one school that really would intrigue him if they ever called, it was UNC. Uh, because he said, and I said, why is that? And he said, because it's a beautiful campus, but they've got a law school, they've got a dental school, and a med school right there. And he said, you get a lot of rich alums that can write a lot of checks for your buildings and programs and that kind of stuff from there. So he said, so it's an intriguing school that way. Cause we, cause our med school is not on our campus. It's, uh, it's in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, and we don't have a dental school either. So, I mean, those two things we didn't have, but I, he did. Okay. I think. Yeah. <laughs> one question I had one question I had Jay that has been brought up on local talk shows over the years, uh, statewide shows, um, but one question had it, there was, a, there was a time, not in recent times, but years ago. So I want to ask you because you would know that Penn State wanted to be in the ACC or the ACC wanted Penn State. Is that true? Well, Have you heard anything on I, that? I, you know, I, if you, if you had told me 20 years ago, what would I rather be? And I was like, you know, the road trips in the ACC are pretty dang good. I mean, you, you get, you know, you're going to, you're going to Georgia Tech. You know, you're going to Miami, you're going to UNC, you're going to UVA, you're going to all those, some really neat places to go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that would, that would be fun. But back in the early, it was like the mid, early to mid 80s, um, when Penn State was still an independent, my dad had put together what would have been an Eastern Conference with the teams we played, like Pitt, West Virginia, Syracuse, Rutgers, Temple, Boston College, I'm forgetting somebody, Penn State. And then Maryland was talking about leaving the ACC to join, and they probably would have added Virginia Tech and one or two other schools at some point. But that was pretty much set. And then the Big East pulled those schools out to play basketball. Pitt went to the Big East for basketball, and Syracuse went to the Big East for basketball. And they wanted to just have a football-only conference that where Penn State, everybody would share the revenue, which was a bad deal for Penn State. So that all fell, that fell through. Um, and then the Big Ten uh, came through and said, hey, we'd be interested in having it. It was 1989 when we joined the Big Ten. And what everybody forgets is really Notre Dame made their TV deal with NBC. I think it was late 80s. And then Penn State jumped into the Big Ten. And then that set the whole domino off. That's when South Carolina and Arkansas went to the SEC and Florida State went to the ACC. And that started the first round of of, of uh uh, conference realignment and then the SEC figured if we add two teams we can have a conference championship game and they really were ahead of the curve in that regard so um, I, I'm, you know there's a lot of Penn State fans that still think we should have gone to the ACC because they look at you know they, 
warmer weather is really what it is. You're not going out to you're not going out to Madison, Wisconsin on November 20th. It can be very, very interesting. But but I you know the Big Ten has been great for Penn State, and you know those those games against Ohio State and Michigan and Wisconsin and Iowa and those places have been been just just they've been really really great for us. Jay, um, not to bring up a sore subject, but how rough was that last year uh, at Penn State for uh, for for your entire family? Well, um, you know, the book I wrote about my dad goes into that in a lot of depth. Uh, but I think the thing about it is this, is that what was really rough about it was, you know, a narrative got started that was absolutely inaccurate. And it by the time you even had a chance to react to it, there were people out there that believed that there was a massive cover-up inside the football program, which never happened. Um it just did not happen. I mean, the only incident that was ever brought to my dad's attention, he reported to the athletic director, who, which is what he's required to do by state law, what the policy was at the time. And at the time, my dad wasn't even even a mandated reporter, but he reported it anyway. And the NCAA, after blasting us and sanctioning Penn State, which they'd since rescinded because they realized they were wrong, two years after the fact, they changed the policy for how coaches should handle allegations of sexual assault to do exactly what my dad did. It was reported to the athletic director and back away and not interfere with any kind of investigation. But people kept saying, well, your dad's the most powerful guy in the state. I said, well, no, he's not. He has no police force. He has no subpoena power. Um, He was told about an incident a day after it happened. So how was he going to find the alleged victim and, and, and of this allegation? So he did exactly what he was supposed to do. But that's not the story that came through. And the prosecutors and the actual the actual prosecutors said he did what he was supposed to do. He was forthcoming. He was honest. And there was no cover up at all whatsoever. But again, most people don't know that. Yeah, you know, that's, remember, the, that's the world we live in. I remember the time on ESPN and, you know, the CNN and all the national media. It, it, it became a it, it almost became instead of just the, you know, going after the guilty Jerry Sandusky and and wanting him to go to prison for his time for, for go to prison for his crime, it became a whole almost like a sick obsession with seeing an icon fall. And uh I just remember thinking, you know, that it that it seemed to to go from a trying to prosecute somebody to almost wanting to see a, a legend fall. Like I d I don't know, it was just it was a weird narrative, like you said, that got that that, that got started by media. Well, you know, I think what it is is, is people we live in a time when people want to believe the worst about people. And I think, you know, the Catholic church issues with these, these same types of crime, I think everybody is predisposed to think that people in power uh, are going to try and cover things up. That's what they do. And then my dad's never been that way. I mean, my dad, when we had players that would get in trouble with police, you know, he would say, look, uh, tell them, tell the truth and deal with the repercussions. If they did it, they did it. You know, they, they should, face whatever repercussions there are. So my dad's never been one of those people that would do that. And, um, you know, so the idea that suddenly a guy who lived his life a certain way for 75 or 80 years would in one instance turn around and say, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, it's just, it's, it's not rational um, right. to even think that way. And this is a guy that, you know, just, I mean, look, he, he was not perfect, believe me. I mean, nobody is. But this is a guy, when he made mistakes, he made mistakes in life with his intentions being the right thing. Um, he never once, he was not a guy that was going to 
intentionally do something to hurt anybody else at all. And there's a guy who spent his whole life helping young people. So why would all of a sudden he turn around and do something like that? Just it's it's absolutely not true. Jay, I wanted I told you pre-show, but it means a lot to me to have you on the show. I, I said back when you took up for your dad, I wish I could meet him. I wish I could say thank you for what you did because my dad and I are very close. And if I had something similar to that or to happen, I would be doing, I would hope to be doing the same thing you were doing. So it meant a lot to me. And I know for Bubba and Kyle, we're all close to our dads. And it was really cool to see the son of a, of a legend like Joe Pa that you, you took on. I mean, basically it was like you're taking on the world and, and here you are to, to, to live and tell about it. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it was, you know, it's what I would do. I mean, it's what anybody would do for their dad. I mean, you know, people have said to me, you know, but it must have been tough. I'm like, well, it's never tough to go tell the truth. I mean, that's easy. I mean, the people that got to cover for their dads because their dads are liars or crooks or whatever, that's tough. Um, but I never, you know, yeah, it was exhausting at times. And you beat your head against the wall with certain people just refuse to believe anything other than what they want to believe. But, you know, it's it's so, yeah, it, it was uh, I looked at it as an honor. Really, you know, because of all the things he did for so many other people. Um, do, do you have um, aspirations to get back into coaching at any point, Jay? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that happened when all this went down was that um, Penn State did not fulfill the contracts for some assistant coaches. So we went through litigation, and that just settled back in February. So that kind of opens me up to kind of re-explore re some things. And I've had some conversations with people, but then obviously with the COVID-19 stuff, that you know, the, we settled in February by March, total chaos in the COVID world. So that kind of is on the back burner, but we'll see what happens next year. I'd love to get back into coaching and miss it. Uh, anybody who has been in it really loved it and did it for the right reason. That's out of it that tells you they don't miss. It's probably not being honest about it. I mean, it's, um, and that was one of the fun things about writing this book was to be able to put myself back in meeting rooms, back on sidelines, calling plays like I did for so many years. Um, of course, the good part of this was I knew how I knew how every game was going to end up, so that was a positive. <laughs> hey, yeah, you're not uh, in the room. I don't want to tell you what State's final record is in this book. You have to read it to find out. And, and we're and what's the name of the book again? And besides Amazon, where else can you get it? It's called Hot Seat: um, A Year Inside College Football's Pressure Cooker, and Amazon's got it now. Um, you can also get it on my website. It's jvpaterno.com. J a y the letter v paterno.com. Um, so those are two places right now that it's out and it'll get, it'll get distributed wider as we go. Okay. It's very exciting. Uh, I've been already reading the book. I downloaded it on my Kindle on, I think it was Thursday. I know you said that Wednesday, uh, they put the, the book out and, uh, very interesting so far, especially with that very thing when you're talking about Ohio state, is there, uh, as far as, uh, now with Penn state, uh, one thing I want to talk about is I know you talked about it last week on full ride on Sirius XM. Um, are you disappointed uh, with not having a football season? I mean, what are the folks going to do in Happy Valley this fall? I mean, I can't imagine with no football. We're, this guy right below me right here was about to have a nervous break. They finally said yesterday we're going to have a game September 12th. Uh, it's no fans. We're not happy about that. And get this, Jay, at East Carolina, you got to come down to a game if you've never been. The tailgating and the beautiful women and everything, it's just uh, great down here. Hey, we ain't playing until we're playing. I'll believe it when we're on the field. I'm, I'm with you, Kyle, a little bit. I think there's there's a lot of um, – you're seeing outbreaks at a lot of schools right now. But, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll come at the Big Ten thing kind of three ways. Um, you know, obviously, as a fan, uh, you know, I've been – even out of coaching, I've been going to all the home games. 
Um, I've missed one or two. Uh, you know, I went to see Oklahoma. I've done some things that I wanted to do, some other games. Went to Oklahoma, Texas, went to Ohio State, Michigan game. Went to some other games, other places to see that. But I've been to uh, all but, I think, one or two Penn State home games since this all happened. And so that's part of the Saturday afternoon routine. It's been part of my Saturday afternoon routine for from the, from the time I was five years old watching John Cappelletti win the Heisman in 1973. So um, it's going to be very, very strange on Saturday afternoons not to have a stadium to go to, a team to watch. Um, so that's going to be tough. Um, as, a, as a former coach, yeah, I mean, I wish we I wish we were playing. I wish, you know, those as a coach you want to play. I mean, I look at the, the coach at Ohio State, Ryan Day. I mean, they've got a great team coming back. They got a team that, quite frankly, could have won the whole thing last year if it wasn't for a couple of tough calls in Clemson. Maybe they win that game. Or, or Trevor Lawrence just played an unbelievable football game. Um, so, I mean, it would have been great to see those two teams match up potentially. But as a trustee uh, at Penn State, there's a third element that you look at in the administration and – um, the health risks right now um, with myocarditis, which is a heart issue, um, there, you know, there's a, an offensive lineman in Indiana who has got COVID-19, who has, has the health complications with the heart, myocarditis. And there are a number of cases uh, around the country that aren't public. Um, and those are very, it's a very, very serious thing. And the, the presidents of, of the Big Ten had to make a call. The president of the PAC-12 had to make a call based on the, the medical information they were getting. Um, so we have to respect that. And the other part of it is, is those, those presidents right now also have to worry about it. Penn State, for example, on our campus here at University Park, we have 49,000 students. So, you know, the, you have these players and their parents saying, we know the risk and we're willing to take it. However, on the flip side, this isn't like a knee injury or concussion, not to belittle those or make the, you know, make those less than they are. But if I go play a game on Saturday and I get a concussion or I get a knee injury, I don't go to class on Monday and give that knee injury to somebody else. And that's the big difference, I think, is what everybody's worried about. And when you look at it, if you have a campus shutdown, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars uh, lost in terms of tuition or, you know, you start to look at all those things, keeping all those kids safe. And, you know, you know, sometimes we forget, you know, yeah, the football players want to play, but, you know, there are a lot of students that are taking out big student loans and they're trying to get their education. They're trying to graduate. And all of a sudden you're going to send them home because there's an outbreak. Um, you know, that that's tough. I mean, you got to keep and you got to keep perspective. You know, football is here to serve the university, not the other way around. Sometimes it's easy to forget that. And when I was a coach, I will tell you, I forget that sometimes, forgot that sometimes. The one argument I would make, Jay, and it's not really an argument, every, you know, the conferences are going to do what they're going to do. I think it's going to be more the other way around. I think it's going to be the other students that don't really have anything to gain that are going to go party, that are going to get the football players sick in the classroom. And the football players are being tested. Most of the other students aren't. That's what happened at East Carolina. Uh, uh, last week. Yeah, we're, our football practice is on pause right now. And the, uh, and the rest of the students, undergrads, have been sent home. Everybody except grad students and athletes, uh, because they wouldn't stop partying. Um, yeah, and, and we're having we're having some issues here. And again, you know, you're setting kids up for failure. I mean, we're you know, when, when you're in college, there's certain things you want to do, and you say, okay, come back to college, but don't do this. And it's like, you know, they want to, so, you know, if you're a freshman and you don't know that many people, you want to socialize, meet some people, that kind of thing. But again, just like you're saying, it could be. You know, you know, when I was on Rick Newhousley, he said, you know, it might be a student giving your left tackle COVID in class. I said, yeah, but 
he may get it might be on Thursday. He might have gotten tested Wednesday. Now he gets on a plane and flies up to Michigan. And now he plays against a defensive end of Michigan who gets it. And now he goes to class on Monday and he gives us. So this is one of those things. It's just it's so uh, it's so contagious that it's just, you know, I understand why presidents felt like they had to do what they they felt like. I'm not happy about it. I mean, I want to see football. But again, I understand the, the, the they're under the gun. And, you know, God forbid, you know, one of my one of my years at Penn State, we had a player get paralyzed on the field. Um, in a game and you know that he he eventually learned to walk again I mean but it was a miracle but I mean that still haunts us and if I had I can't even imagine we'd like to have somebody drop dead on a field with a heart issue that they got from COVID I mean that would be I don't know how you'd live with yourself on that one again I and you know, you know it's there's no easy way to do this but again at the end of the day I think the thing people realize is have to realize is that you know the Big Ten commissioner has been criticized over and over again, and the presidents have been criticized for taking the easy way out. But the reality is, is the Pac-12 did it, the Big Ten did it. Between the two of them, there's 26 university presidents, 26 team you know f- physicians, who you know they listened to their doctors and they walked away from a billion dollars in television money combined. Those 26 schools, so that really wasn't the easy decision. I mean, that, the easy decision would have been let's find a way to play as opposed to let's walk away from a billion dollars. And I hate to make it all about the money, but, again, that's 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 not an easy decision. Yeah, and also the Mountain West and the Mac, people keep forgetting they exist. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a Tuesday night football, you know. Well, uh, the funny thing is, is people, for, you know, when they talk about the Big Ten, they talk about the Big Ten, I keep saying, you know, the, big, the Pac-12 isn't playing either. And, again, we'll see what happens because as you look at, I think there's five or six ACC schools now that are have gone to online. Yeah. I mean, how long can you keep that at bay without that? You know, there's going to come a critical mass where someone's going to have to say, hey, guys, we got to shut this down. Um, I think the one thing that those conferences have is they're not playing until the 26th um, wow. in the SEC. So no, the, got, ACC, the ACC starting the 12th. Then okay. the yeah. I, think, I think the SEC started the 26th. <laughs> they, they do. Which gives them some more time, but it also gives – their students more time to, and the people, you know, and, you know, everybody forgets it's not only just the students we want to protect, you know, there are part-time workers in our dining halls and dorms who don't have health benefits and you'd hate to have an outbreak and somebody all of a sudden has got $60,000 in hospital bills. Uh, you know, so there, there's so many things in play here. It's, 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 like I said, I'm glad I'm not the president of a major university right now because yeah. I wouldn't want to have to make these calls. And actually, next weekend, uh, you got several American schools, Conference USA schools, Army, uh, BYU, uh, BYU Navy on Labor Day night. Um, so uh, a few schools starting up next weekend, and uh, there's an FCS game this weekend. Uh, a couple of the FCS teams that are still actually going to play a season, despite not being able to compete for a national championship, uh, Central Arkansas and uh, Austin P play Saturday night on ESPN. Oh, wow. There's something to watch then. It's good. Yeah. yeah. Saturday. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jay, as far as uh, one question that's been asked by the talking heads on uh, as far as sports talk is what happens uh, hypothetically if the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12, if they pull off a season, um, how does that affect the, the Pac-12 and the Big 10 as far as the Power 5 leagues? Well, I think, it remains, I, I think it remains to be seen. I think, you know, the the, the – you know, there's there's a lot of people in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 that are very very nervous about that scenario. And so, you know, you know, somebody asked me on one of the one of the interviews I did last week. Well, 
you know, you're probably rooting for them not to pull it off. I said, no, because if they don't pull it off, it means something wrong. Something went very, very wrong. Um, I, you know, if they do go ahead, I hope nobody gets sick. I hope nobody has real issues. But on the flip side, if there is a problem, if you have a kid that, that you know, take a kid like Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, for example, if he were to get COVID-19 and myocarditis and could never play football again, um, you know, Clemson is going to be, you know, there's going to be a lawsuit. And, you know, you know, we, does anybody, I don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see that. I want to see Trevor Lawrence play in the NFL because, you know, I'm a short haircut guy. So I, I won't lie. You know, I looked at him and go, God, I wish you just cut his hair. But I'll tell you, that game against Ohio State last year, he proved to me, you know, how what a really physically tough competitor he is. And I'd say, you know what, I'd still ask him to cut his hair if he played for me. But I'll tell you what, he can play quarterback for me anytime he wants. Because um, he's really good. I mean, he really impressed me. I mean, I just got to be impressed with a kid like that. Um but I mean, you know, I, I, I just hope that if they do go ahead, I hope it comes off smoothly. But I also hope people don't turn around and say the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were wrong. They, they made the decision they had to make with the information they had to at the time. And Jay, one more, I had one more question before, okay. before your final question, Dave. Um, what, what do you make of schools uh, like East Carolina, NC State, UNC, um, for example? We've all take an undergrad online and uh, the, the thought process for Matt Brown, for example, said now we can truly put the football team in a bubble uh, with the rest of the students gone and then being on campus, taking their classes online. Uh, what, what do you, what do you think of that approach? I don't like it. Uh, just cause I, you know, I think college football, part of the beauty of college football has been over the years that, you know, the guy that's out there playing on Saturday on Monday is sitting in class with his fellow students there's still an element of that in college football. And uh, one of the things I worry about in the future of college football is going to be, are you going to have situations where these guys are showing up to a football building at, you know, seven o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning doing football till noon and then taking all their classes online and not really interacting with the other students. And you take away that kind of those connections they are going to make with people who aren't football players. Uh, one of the things my dad always was very adamant about is he did not want an athletic dorm. He wanted our guys living among all the other students. And I thought, you know, a lot of guys benefited from friendships they made with people who were not on their team, um, business connections, things like that down the road. Um, so I don't really like it. But again, you know, it's the hand they're dealt. So, yeah, for Mac Brown, it's probably a lot easier to keep an eye on his guys without everybody else on campus and kind of keep them isolated. Um, but there's been incidents even in the summer when only athletes are back on campus that they've kind of had their own little parties, invited people. And again, you know, they're, they're 18 to 22-year-old guys. I mean, the list of things that I wanted to do when I was 18 and 22-year-old that thankfully somebody kept me from doing is very long. And probably the only reason I'm still here living, talking at age 51. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know we, we've, had, we've had people I'm with on the board of trustees, all oh, these students, I go, you guys all forget. Don't ever forget what it was like to be eighteen to twenty-two because we were all stupid too. Yeah, I told uh, I told Dave if I was uh, East Carolina head coach Mike Houston, I would require that uh, all the uh, players, uh, as Mike Leach would say, little fat girlfriends have to be swabbed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the guy from the NHL, Mike Milbury, the, the the announcer, he made a comment about no women in the bubble, so there's no distractions, and he got suspended for it. So be careful with those. But I mean, you know, I get what he's getting at, but you know, it's. Um, you know, it's uh, we live in different times. There's no question. You got suspended for that comment? My goodness! I mean, that's yeah, he did. That's ridiculous. Yeah, no yeah. question. 
Jay, I forgot earlier when we were talking about your dad, and I told you pre-show, a friend of mine and mentor, Brian Freeman, um, he told me that his dad, I want to mention this, his dad and uh, your dad and one of their mutual friends, Charlie Hines, they used to sit in the dining room drinking coffee and talking about the hotel business. He said that your dad was responsible for the Nittany Lion Inn and Charlie Hines owned, owned the resort. And he said that my dad was a part owner in a bunch of hotels and ran a hotel association. So I just thought oh, that yeah. was cool. Yeah. That- yeah, my dad, my dad, he had interests in all different kinds of stuff. And he was one of those guys he would think of, he always had ideas, you know, and he was, he was very visionary about a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, he, he, he had a whole list of things he wanted to do when he was done coaching. Now the problem is he lived, you know, he coached till he was in his eighties. So there wasn't a whole lot of time left and then he got sick. Um, but you know, he had, he had a whole range of, of different things he was interested in. And one of the things that, that was different is, um, that my dad benefited from. And I think some of the coaches that jump around all the time don't get is staying in the same place. Um, you know, you get to get to know people, you make a lot, you, you make a lot more money off the field than, than you could on the field by the connections you make. Um, and you know, David Cutcliffe up at Duke, by the way, who I think has done a phenomenal job at Duke. I think is really one of the underrated coaches in the country. Um, you know, told me a story one time about when he got to Duke, because, you know, every time something comes up, somebody says, oh, why isn't, you know, he ought to go here or Tennessee's going to grab him. So, but, you know, he said, Jay, you know, your dad gave me a bit of advice one time. He said, find a place you like and stay put. And I think that's what David's done at, at Duke. And I think, you know, you can see he's happy there. And uh, that's what my dad did. He got to Penn State, started to like it, and said, I'm going to stick around as long as they'll keep me. When I was, Jay, when I was working in Raleigh, uh, this I'll piggyback off that story, his uh... – uh, with David Cutcliffe, I actually worked with uh, with a salesperson when I was in radio. Who she was, uh, they're married now, but they were uh, obviously that was her fiance playing. I think he was center for Duke at the time several years ago, and I think Mrs. Cutcliffe told the story of how uh, when he was at Mississippi that they actually put uh, for sale signs in their <laughs> in the yeah. front lawn to get rid of him, um, even though he did a fantastic job at Ole Miss. Um, I don't, I still that's one that. It's crazy, but I guess that's part of just like with this book and uh, different coaches' stories that you've heard for many years uh, uh, around the country. And when yeah, you had Eli, that's what it was. Dave. Yeah, you know, my my dad never really had too much of that because you know he was here so long and had success. But um, when we were years we didn't do as well, people would come after me, and you know, I had my trees toilet paper and I had my garbage dumped. I had a I had a tree a Christmas tree cut down in my front yard. And I'll show you how how aware I was. You know, my kids kept saying, there's a tree missing. I'm like, no, no, no. What are you guys talking about? So finally, I looked and go, oh, my God, they're not kidding. I mean, it took me like two weeks to realize the tree was gone. And, uh, you know, I, I jokingly tweeted about, it, like, whoever cut my tree down, I hope you're enjoying it, whatever. And, you know, there was a landscaping company from a town, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, not far from me. The guy called me and said, hey, we're going to bring you a tree. We feel bad about what happened to you. So, I mean, you know, it's. You know, for every person like that, there's somebody else that'll do something nice for you. And Jay, we had a couple more comments. I'm going to put up a good radio friend of mine who obviously a big supporter of East Carolina and been in the Greenville market for many years. Alan Vick, he said college athletics could use a more, more Joe Paternos these days for a lot of reasons. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I, you know, one of the things that uh, I think he's right. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with him, obviously, but I think one of the things people don't realize is, I think, as as Kyle, you mentioned about the financial bubble maybe popping. 
Um, you know, my dad's last year at Penn State in 2011, his salary was just over a million dollars a year. Oh, wow. After, after 40 oh, some years, God. he was like the 11th or 12th highest paid guy, or 10th, 10th or 11th in the Big, Big Ten, and there were 12 teams at the time. Um, because how much do I need? You know, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've got more money than I need. Um, and he said, I'm not going to leave you guys anything, so don't ask me for it. Um, but I mean, it, you know, but I think, I think the thing he understood was, you know, he spent the money like it was his own. So when we were doing facilities, you know, he was very fiscally conservative, whereas you look at it and you say, you know, schools are building these $90 million for football facilities and $100 million in football facilities. And you don't need that. You don't need a laser tag and a mini miniature golf course and all these things. To, this doesn't help you win football games. I mean, you're just you're just catering to 16-year-olds and saying, you know, we're going to spoil you. And then you're surprised when they turn around and, and they act the way they do. Um, so uh, I appreciate that comment. And I agree with I agree with What about a $20 million press box for a school with a $40 million athletic budget? A 65. Yeah, we have a 65. If, if you can get the revenue, I mean, if you put some sky boxes in there and there's a return on your investment, then yeah. But I mean, it's, you know, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm on the board of trustees at Penn State and we, we, we kind of put the kibosh on a, the president wanted to renovate his suite and put a $10 million elevator, a private elevator up to his suite. Oh my they God. They were trying to slip it past us and we found out about it and kind of brought it to light. And uh, that, that, that project went by the wayside. That's what a board of trustees is supposed to do. Take note. Pirate hey, Jake, can, can we borrow you and put you on the board of trustees in Greenville at ECU? Man, we need some common sense. So that would be nice. Well, I mean, there's no question. The question is, what you know, what, what's the return on the investment? I mean, we're talking. I mean, look, we're we we have a proposal to redo our football building, which we've just we put twenty five, thirty million into it already before I was on the board. Just in the, I mean, the building's only fifteen or I guess nineteen, twenty years old. But it, it's bigger than we need, and now they spent thirty million. Now they want they've got another forty eight million they want to want to spend. They go for what? I said at the end of the day, you know, having all these displays that, that's not going to change one thing. It's not going to make you a better football coach or better football player. You know, all these things like a barber shop and a movie theater. That, you know, that's 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 you know, you know, the thing about Penn State for years it was just we were simple. It was you come in here, you you walk in that building, you put in the hard work, and we go out and we were hard nosed football. But you know, Jay, we have, become flash. Yeah, we have another comment for you, folks. Again, uh, we got a couple more minutes for Jay. I know, thanks, Jay, for saying that we didn't plan on you being here this long, but I appreciate oh, it very no much. Problem. Oh, good lord! Johnny Gardner says uh, one of our regulars, Lewisburg, down at Bucknell, made the trip many times watching a Bison game in the afternoon. To Happy Valley that's for a night a, that's game. That's a good doubleheader right there. Yeah, Bucknell is a great school. Really a great academic institution. It's only about 45 miles away from State College. A really nice town. Um, but yeah, they. In fact, my son, one of my one of my sons, looked at that looked at them uh, for lacrosse when he was coming out, and uh, I was kind of hoping he'd end up there, but he, he went somewhere else. Bubba, you got a question? Bubba's chiming in here at the the eleventh hour here. Uh, I had a comment first and then, and then a question, Dave. Um, my, the comment, I grew up in the Louisville Clemens community before I moved um, to to uh, Lexington, North Carolina, which is about 20 to 30 minutes away. But uh, when I was in the Louisville Clemens area at West Forsyth High School, um, we sent Tika's Pettigrew and also David Flyshower, uh, defensive, defensive lineman up to Penn State. Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, 
uh, uh, what was the coach's name? Was it Russell Stone? Yes, sir. Russell yeah. Stone. Russell used to come up and work our camps, and uh, we we had some fun nights with Russell. Russell's a great guy. <laughs> and then we also got a guy, a coach named Cuncho Brown from, uh, I think, Parkland High School over there in Winston-Salem. So we had a couple guys over in that area that came up over the years. And then when I coached at UVA, we had a ton, ton of guys from from that area that came up and played well for us. But, yeah, it's uh, Fleischauer was a really good player. Tika's Pettigrew was a really good player for us both. But I should have Go ahead, Bob. I'm sorry. The question was just taking a look at modern day um, Penn State and everything that's going on uh, right now. Obviously, you guys aren't playing football this year, but uh, James Franklin, um, the job he's done, um, 11 wins in three of the last four seasons. Uh, just talk about what he's built. Well, I think, it's good, I think they've done a really, really good job, obviously, the last, three of the last four years. The question is going to be, you know, um, it's longevity. I mean, uh, you know, we've renegotiated his contract twice in the last couple of years, um, whether it's because of legitimate idea, thoughts of him leaving or not, you know, again, we'll, we'll see. But again, I'm hoping that, you know, we got a guy that wants to stick around for a while and wants to build a kind of program and continue on a tradition that of academic excellence and athletic excellence and that kind of stuff. But uh, we'll see. I think he's done. I think he's done a good job. But again, we've He'd be the first to tell you that he has bigger goals than what he's done so far. Jay, one question I've been wanting to ask, so I'll ask it this way. If James Franklin, if James Franklin leaves, would you take the job at Penn State? Of course he would. <laughs> yeah, I'd take it, but the question is, would they offer it to me? That's, that's the bigger question. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, look, if I get back into coaching, you know, and my path brought me back here, great. But, you know, it, you know, you, you, you the good Lord kind of puts you where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be most of the time. And my dad used to tell me, you know, he never gives you more than he thinks you can handle. And when all this stuff happened in 2011, 2012, I said to my dad, you know, a couple, couple weeks before he died, we, we, he, um, he, he was really doing much better. And then the last week just kind of took a turn and he got really, cancer got really, really aggressive. But at one point I said to him, so dad, you know, you always say God only gives you, he doesn't give you more than he thinks you can handle. I said, God has a very much higher opinion of me than I do. Um, because I, this is more than I think I can handle. Um, but yeah, you know, what, what, what happens in the future, who knows, but right. You know, writing this book was a lot of fun. Um, uh, I hope it doesn't get me any, too many coaches mad at me for kind of telling the truth, <laughs> but again, I did change the names to protect the innocent and not so innocent. And the one, you know, there, and some of the stories were fun to write. There was one, we were recruiting a pretty prominent, uh, high profile running back and his mom and he were very, very religious. And Wednesdays they would do Bible studies and Sundays they would go to church and everything. And one of the other schools that was recruiting them, they had a, a running back coach. He was, let's say he stretched the truth a little bit. Let's put it that way. He wasn't a liar, but he would exaggerate some things. So he kept telling the mom, you know, I'm very religious, very religious. So the mom and the kid go in and visit this, this story is in the book. And the mom and the kid go in to visit. And when he go into the coach's office, they're on his desk, like his desk perfectly clean, and there's a Bible on it. And the mother says, oh, I see you got your Bible. And he goes, yeah, you know, this Bible's been with me for years, and I read it every morning, and I start my day every morning. She goes, Coach, the spine on that leather Bible hasn't even been cracked yet. Did you just get that at Walmart yesterday? And he was completely blown away. She shut him up, and that was the end of that. And she said, he's not going here. Wow. That's, uh, and I, that's and great. I said, you know what? That mom gets a, gets a gold star. That's great. And I said to her, I said, look, I'm not going to tell you that. She goes, yeah, I, I, I'll flat out tell you, I'm a heathen. 
So, you know, <laughs> but at least you know where I'm coming from. Absolutely. Hey, uh, honesty is always the best policy. Jay, the book is called Hot Seat. You can get it on Amazon. And uh, anything else we need to know? Uh, and jvpaterno.com. But other than that, I think uh, we've covered everything. You guys did great. This is a lot of fun. Thank you, Jay, so much for the time and the visit. Uh, I was always, I've been a huge fan of your dad. I was telling the guys, uh, one final thing, the one of the reasons why I love your dad is because back in the day, they don't believe me, but back in the day, there's only a few football games on television. They're so young, they don't know how bad it was back then as far as not enough oh, you teams. Know, don't get on twice a year, three times a year, no question. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a chance to grow up watching your dad and huge fan and, a huge fan of yours. Thank you so much for coming on. I know the guys, we've been looking forward to it all weekend. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. I really had a lot of fun. Right. And a lot you. of fun, by too. Way, I want to tell you one thing. I okay. eat my full pork, pork sandwiches with coleslaw on them, by the way. Oh, you got yes, yes. And vinegar-based barbecue sauce. Yes. You're welcome <laughs> anytime in Greenville, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. You guys have a good night. All right, you too. Appreciate it. Jay Paterno, what an honor to have him on. Uh, guys, that was a lot of fun. And uh, certainly on a Monday night, I know the book is going to do well. I've got it right, literally right here, uh, right here with me, uh, with my Amazon uh, Kindle. And actually, uh, I even have it on my app for uh, my iPad as well. Looking forward. I already read uh, close to the first chapter. So believe it or not, I can read. All right. <laughs> That's breaking news there. Um, I think other news, guys, I'm sure uh, if we wrap this up, uh, other news broke today, NC State. The athletic program is completely on pause with 22 cases, I believe, of COVID. Uh, so uh, East Carolina, not the only team in the state experiencing problems with that. Uh, the word is, this is nothing official from the university, that the Pirates tested today. Hopefully we'll have those results tomorrow, and hopefully it'll be good results and we'll be able to get the players that aren't being quarantined back out on the practice field for the week's over. Yeah, and uh, let's put up a couple things, too, by the way, uh, for folks to let them know that join Bubba tomorrow afternoon. He's going to catch up with former East Carolina linebacker Quentin Cotton on 50 Pirates in 50 Days at 345 right here on Facebook and YouTube Live. And Johnny Gardner's uh, agreeing with me about the uh, lack of football games. Uh, he said, amen, Dave, reason why many Southerns pull for the teams. I guess he meant Southerners uh, pull for the teams they do professionally. And as a matter of fact, guys, if you go way back, there are a lot of people that pull for the Yankees because back in the day, as far as Major League Baseball, one of the only teams you could see every single week were the New York Yankees. Uh, so. You didn't have to go way back, Dave. Uh, me and, me and uh, some other people talked about why we're Cubs fans. In regards to cable not being prevalent, and you got what the games you got. So uh, there you go. But um, I tell you what, very excited. I'm, I'm praying really hard there will be good news tomorrow. Um, when we, I think that, uh, they were the guys, I want to mention this on our round table real fast that my understanding, and maybe you guys can help me on this. My understanding is that we're going to do testing today and hopefully we're having good news. We'll keep our fingers crossed pretty, really hard. And they were going to start, they're going to try to start tomorrow. That's what I was, that was what I was hearing. Uh, I don't know. I, I heard we'll get the results back tomorrow. I would expect Wednesday, but it, it, that's if we get good results. But who knows? Right. They were trying. They, I didn't say there was a definite. They said they were going to try to start back on on Tuesday. That's. I thought that was a little ambitious, but I wanted to mention that tonight on the roundtable because that, if that's the case, a Tuesday or Wednesday, that's still a huge accomplishment, don't you think? I mean, that's still oh, I, I good news. I'll look back and see. And, and see. If, if they can start back before the week's over, I'll be tickled. Any, just a few days. That, well, that's one of the good – think about this. 
I know our buddy Patrick Johnson, the game mentioned this, but can you imagine having to pause? And then if it's, uh, it's Tuesday or Wednesday and then you got a game Saturday, like the original schedule of Marshall, that would be nuts. So it's good that we moved the game back to the 12th. And I know that uh, good job with the, the chancellor yesterday saying that we can play. Um, Kyle's going to be on his lazy boy, I guess, with the big screen on September 12th. I'll be at the game, um, in the press box, but at least. Yeah, if we don't, we may not have the game, but um, Bubba and, it, and it still could be. Uh, I have to wait and see how much media is allowed. Uh, like I said, we'll, uh, <laughs> I'm still yet to be determined on all that. We'll, we'll see. I, I think we'll play. I, I, I'm, I'm betting you that it's going to be limited media also, unless we go into phase three. And the, and the funny thing about that is we won't hear about that until September 11th, right? The Friday, the literally no, the day before. No, uh, you guys remember, typically Cooper does his press conference on Wednesday and makes the announcement to go into effect on Friday. Hopefully, that's the way he'll continue it. I hope. Okay. All right. Well, I, hope. I hope. We'll keep our we'll keep our fingers crossed, and I, I think that the, he's a big sports fan, uh, so that that plays into I believe that unless there's some huge outbreak in the next week or two that would prevent that. Uh, we will play, and unfortunately, no fans. And this is another key element. Yesterday, the chancellor, I don't know if you guys saw this, because, Kyle, you brought this up last week, and you were right. He said there'll be no tailgating, but he said no tailgating on ECU property, which means you still could tailgate. Um, you still could have some tailgating that's non-ECU property where people yeah, could well, still get together. About that. If we can go to the games... If it gets to the point this year where we can go to the games, consider ourselves blessed. And uh, I would imagine how I would handle that is I wouldn't open up any any parking lots for ECU parking, uh, whether it's on campus or off campus. Maybe one hour before the game. Yeah, probably two hours before the game to give people time to get in. What about you, Bubba? Are you going to be okay if we don't have any tailgating this year? Of course. Uh, I'll be, like Kyle was saying, uh, I'll be, I'll be uh, just very – very happy that we're, you know, playing football. <laughs> well, at least we have, yeah, at least we have, have that, right? I mean, it's been such a crazy year, but we're going to uh, keep our fingers crossed, Kyle. I know that there's a lot of people that are uh, certainly praying really hard and finding some way uh, that we can make lemonade, like you're talking about, guys, that we, you know, it's still crazy that last Friday night, for example, no high school football. We're not going to have that till February, and, um, you know, the fact that right now in the state of North Carolina, I'm a fair nerd. There's only, I believe, if, uh, right in your neck of the woods, Kyle, that, that's one of the fairs of North County. There's only like three fairs in the whole state left. I think it's more than three. There's like three. three I think County still has a fair. Oh, you mean, oh, no, you mean this year? This year. Okay. Oh, well, I didn't know that North County was still having a fair. Well, that's cool. Well, uh, I'll, uh, unless it's changed that I saw a list. I'll probably be there unless they change it. I will probably be there. So you got something to do there. Um, but just How pretty much everywhere. Paul brings the three S. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No <laughs> doubt about it. We get the yeah. three F's. We need to wrap this up. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, say, Bubba, you got anything before we go? Well, we got some great programming. Let's program, let's do our promos real quick and we'll get out of here, Kyle. Yeah, tomorrow night um, it will be Dave Ryan and Chris Benini. Uh, Dave Ryan of CBS Sports Network and, and Chris Benini of The Athletic on um, on Wednesday afternoon. Um, Jamie Shaw of the Absolute Basketball Experience. Um, we the Pirates have gotten Great, a couple, yes. couple of commitments here recently. Um, 
one of which um, the most recent uh, R.J. Felton, six four uh, guard out of Aiken, South Carolina, and so we'll talk about him and also Dondre Watson, a guy who six eight, six nine, depending on where you see him listed, extremely athletic. Um, um, not the most developed guy at this point, but he's a guy that has extreme athleticism and he is um, has a very high ceiling, but. Uh, some development definitely needed, but I'm very excited about getting him as well. He's out of Moravian Prep, which I think is in the Hickory area. All right. All right. Well, good. All right. well guys, we've got a great big week. Uh, look forward to it with you guys. Thanks to Jay Paterno, his great book, Hot Seat. Uh, download it. You can buy it pretty much everywhere. Uh, get that book. It's fantastic. I've already read almost the first chapter already since yesterday. Uh, trying it. I'll read some more tonight. Guys, thanks, Bubba. Thanks, Kyle. And we'll see you back tomorrow right here on the Sports Project, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. Good night, everybody. You've been listening to the Sports Objective podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective. And the objective is sports.